Welcome, beautiful people. This is episode 550. Welcome to my podcast, Quest for You. How are you? I hope from my heart that everyone is well and healthy. I still cannot really comprehend what's happening to us right now, here and now in March of 2020, a year we will probably not forget in a while. But today, I want to bring you an interview that I have been waiting impatiently to publish. And while I could record several more episodes on all the ways I'm both struggling and coping with this virus situation, today, I decided that you can learn from someone else who is better suited to teach all of us how to deal with challenging circumstances. Last night, as I sat here at my desk editing the interview that we recorded a few weeks ago, I finally realized this is exactly what we all need right now. There are plenty of home workouts on social media, plenty of motivational quotes, a lot of safety-related information as well, but very little of what you are about to hear. Meet Monk. A man who has a real story for you. A raw story of struggle and challenges. And most importantly, it's a story of discomfort. I'm confident that there is a lot you will learn in this first part of my interview with this inspiring human being. The biggest lesson, however, I believe that he's teaching us is this. When you stop being afraid of life and begin to face your fears, your worries, your weaknesses, the things that hold you back, you'll get further than you can ever imagine. Don't believe me. Listen to the story that you are about to hear and don't focus on what he did and how he did it. Focus on that he did it. So many of us don't do it. We don't go for it. We remain stuck in our comfort zones. Whether that's drugs or alcohol or endless hours of television, we are afraid to face ourselves, to discover what more we are capable of. I think this is the perfect time right now for all of us. With all this uneasiness caused by our outside world, to turn inward and listen for better guidance for our life. So allow yourself to be inspired by my new friend, Monk. We had a wonderful conversation that I didn't want to end. It lasted almost two hours here in my apartment. And today I'm bringing you part one of this conversation. So the great news is you will finish this and you will want to hear the rest of this story. And I will bring it to you soon. In the meantime, you can learn more about Monk on his website at monketernal.com. I know he's working on a book. Hopefully we get to read that soon. Enjoy. Enjoy this amazing conversation with an amazing human being. Stay safe and I can't wait to talk to you soon. Much love. Hello. <laughs> awesome. Is it working? Yep, it is. Okay. Awesome. Okay, I'm just gonna go in. Hi, Monk. Hello. It's 
good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for coming here and doing this interview with me. And we have never met before, so I have a lot of questions. And I want to start with Oakland. You are from Oakland. Not necessarily. Oh. <laughs> I've been here for 25 years. Okay. So basically, I believe if you're somewhere for long enough, you turn it into whatever that is. So I could say I'm from here now. I think I've been here long enough. Where are you from? Uh, I was born in Bakersfield, California. Ah. Oh. Down south. You know where that is? Yep. And then I moved up to Humboldt County, mm. California. And then I moved all over the place. And I first came to uh, Oakland in 1988. But then I left again and it came back in the 90s and I stayed. How was it growing up in Bakersfield? It's kind well, of a dead town. I wasn't there long <laughs> either long. very okay. much. So we were all over the place. I had very uh, a lot of childhood homes. Why um, is that? My mom just moved everywhere mm. all the time. And uh, yeah, very dysfunctional uh, family. Lo my mom did amazing raising seven kids on her own. But uh, it's, that's, I mean, I can't even imagine it now like... Before, I used to judge her like, oh, why were we so broke? Why were this? But seven kids, no father. Yeah, it's rough. So do you know your dad? or My dad passed away when I was three and a half. Mm -hmm. And what I hear of him was not good things. You ever heard of that song, Papa Rose Rolling Stone? Yep. It, that song reminds me of what I heard. Mm. I always just grew up thinking it didn't affect me, but... Everything affects you. Everything in your life affects mm. you. And later on in life, I realized doing the things I was doing, that was part of why I was doing the things I was doing. Mm. Give me an example of some of the things that you were... Well, what I heard about him, like I said, reminds me of that song. And I always told myself when I was younger, you know, I'm not going to uh, do the same things. And I ended up, uh, one night I came in drunk and high, and my mom said... Uh, you remind me of your father. And even saying that, or even hearing that, I was still like, yeah, whatever. But looking back now, I'm like, you know, she's really trying to tell me something. Um, there's always a void when a parent is missing. You know, everybody says a woman cannot properly show a man how to be a good father or husband. So you searching to be that, but you don't know what that looks like. So you end up running around with people in the same situation. And we teach each other as young teenagers. And as young teenagers, we really don't know anything. So we're teaching each other the wrong things. So that directly affects you, right? If you don't have a male role model and you're looking up to people your same age as, as guidance and they don't have a role model, where are you going to go from there? It's like uh, they did a study about rogue elephants, baby male rogue elephants, and they were just running wild. And that's what I ended up doing. So does running wild looks like took you into kind of down the wrong streets for a mm, little bit. Every wrong street. Every wrong street. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was raised in church. Uh, my mother tried to put us in there for some type of structure, but it was fear-based religion. And it got to a point where I'm walking on eggshells all the time. You know, I was getting older. And I was in all the way. I was in. I was indoctrinated. I was brainwashed. I was whatever you want to call it. I was believing. I was drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm. And then finally it got to a point where, you know, you start maturing hormonal things start happening you start to go through puberty you start to think different now some of the things that you they say you can't do in church you're starting to have this inner conflict like I have these feelings like I want to 
be with a girl. I want to, all these things that was telling you not to do before you're married and blah, blah, blah. So finally I just, I, I did 180. I went to all the way in. I was figured if I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go on my own terms. If instead of walking on eggshells, I'll just make all the mistakes and not just tiptoe and try not to make one. I'm just going to just go all the way in. And that's what I did in my late teens. And I started selling drugs and drinking and um, being involved in violence. And luckily, well, I don't even know if it's luckily, I avoided prison, but most everybody else I was with, they, they didn't avoid that. But for a lot of people, that's where they find peace. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, they have a break, at least physically, from what they're doing to their bodies. So I was destroying my body from a young age with the drinking, uh, bad eating habits, bad sleeping habits, just, just reckless. Mm-hmm. But it must have given you something. You broke out of this one environment that was constricting you, and you went into I complete never, freedom. Well, I don't, I don't know if I would call it freedom. I went from one prison to a, the next. Right. But did it feel like freedom for a little bit? It did. And it felt like freedom because, for one, I was using alcohol. And, you know, alcohol is a, a false sense of freedom because you don't really worry at the time that you're drinking. Mm. So you don't worry about the future. You don't worry about the past. So it gives you this false sense that I'm in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm free. But the next day comes, and it swings back the other direction, and you feel the opposite of free, right? Physically, you're, you're beat up mentally, emotionally, and then what do you do now? Mm-hmm. Well, you do it again. You want to feel that freedom again. And it's just with any addiction, you always need that to feel normal. And that's how I got on that path. I didn't want to be an alcoholic. It just gradually happened. Just like when people be, you know, look in the mirror after 20 years and realize that they're obese. It's just a gradual thing. One thing, you, 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 know, you wake up and you're in someone's house that you don't know sleeping on the floor in your underwear. Yeah. You know, this didn't happen overnight. Um, this just repetitive uh, behavior mm-hmm. that increased when it needed to increase to get me to, to that same feeling I got when I first started doing it. Mm-hmm. So what made you wake up? Mm. So when I was about 38, uh, I have six children. My last child, that was um, the day after she was conceived when I was 38, I started having these physical, scary physical symptoms. I was urinating blood. Mm. My organs were getting shot because of what I was doing. So I was already depressed, all right? I was already, for the last 20-something years, um, living this lifestyle, and it's a very depressing um, lifestyle. You, you feel like you don't have a purpose. You don't know where you're going. Nothing's steady. You're, everything's always changing, and you're not okay with the changes, so you continue to drink, to numb whatever, you, to, to avoid whatever you need to heal. So the universe has a funny way of going, all right, well, I gave you enough chances. You, you uh, eluded enough things in your life. Well, I'm going to give you something you can't run from. So either you're going to check out or you're going to wake up. This, these are your options. And I was such at a low, such a low point in my life at that time, so heavy and so dark. So that morning when I got up, and I was supposed to, I was in Miami getting ready to party for the whole week. That was the first night I got there. And I t- told um, my daughter's mother, I said, you know, check to see if you're pregnant. And we weren't trying or not trying. We said if it happens, it happens. And almost immediately she was pregnant. But I said to, told her to check because she was getting ready to party with me. Mm-hmm. Something told me to check. Something said, 
ask her this question. She did, and she was pregnant, so she didn't drink or do anything while we were there. But the next day, it's almost like this baby that was conceived now was telling me, like, you need to be here. Mm. You need to be here for me. And when I tell you about this kid, this kid is not from a, a she's from another planet. It's, it's really amazing. But since I was an alcoholic, okay, I stopped for a little while, but I'm like, you know, I'm probably good now. Started back drinking again. Same thing. Same thing. But I didn't know how to stop doing it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't, how am I going to give up my crutch? Run my legs. I can't walk on my own. Yeah. This is something I really needed. So it got to the point after a party one night, I was like, this has to happen or I'm going to die. So I said, that was it. After the party, I got up with a hangover. I said, that's it. So I forcibly stopped in the beginning. And then as it continued, all this anxiety, all these things I've been repressing for so long started to come up and I started to feel uneasy. And I don't know what happened, but meditation came into my awareness somehow. Never thought about it, never even I heard about it, but I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. So I said, I got to try something. I tried the organized religion already. So I said, meditation, looked it up, basically said, sit down. Sit down, get quiet, and watch what comes. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, at first, everything was coming. Everything. People always say, oh, my mind is too busy to meditate. And I always tell them this. I said, your mind's not too busy. You're just now looking at it. We try to avoid it with everything we can not to deal with mm -hmm. this. So now I'm, every day I'm starting to look at it. And I'm like, this is crazy. Every single day I'm making time. Every single day for months into years into, and I'm staying sober the whole time. How long were you meditating in the beginning? In the beginning, maybe 10 minutes. It turned into 20. Then, you know, I got eventually got up to an hour. Tell me what was going on in the beginning. You said a lot of things came to you. Were you just sitting there thinking or were you actually really able to so I connect with yourself? So I was, I was sitting down. I would, my, my, my first place I used to meditate was in the bathroom. So I would tell everybody else to get out. You know, you need to use the bathroom. Go now. And I would lock myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would lock myself in there and just do my thing and then and come out. But it's almost like all the things you didn't deal with would just flash in front of your face. And sometimes you would connect to them and you would attach to them. And you just have to practice on detaching. So when you see it come, you might get caught up on it for a minute. But when you realize you're caught up on it, then you can allow it to go. And that's the thing. We're unconscious so much that we don't even know we're caught up on this, mm -hmm. creating the reality we, we, we don't want. Eventually, it started getting to a point where I could see it come almost instantly and being able to see it. I might latch onto it for a second, but then I can let it go. And it's almost like you're stepping out of this thought pattern that is controlling you, and you're taking control of it. So you're just watching them instead of being involved in them. Mm -hmm. It gets to that point. And don't get me wrong, still to this day, I will get involved in something. But I always tell people, uh, consciousness is being conscious of being unconscious. Once you know you're gone, that's it. You can bring yourself back. But most of society, they don't know they're gone. And they're gone, and they're gone, and they're gone every day. And when you say gone, you mean, well, you say unconscious, but explain that. What I'll, does it mean? I'll, let, me, let me give you an example. On the computer, say you're trying to search for a bag, and you get on the computer, and it, you see a bunch of bags coming up. Then all of a sudden, you see something else you like. Then so, all of a sudden, you see something else you like. You're going from one thing. So you got on there searching for a bag. 
you end up buying some dominoes. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's one thought goes to another thought, goes to another thought. You're never where you're supposed to be, which is in the present moment. And usually they're fearful thoughts that you're going from one fearful thought to the next, 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 never being present. Mm -hmm. And that's how you live your life. And that is the, the uneasiness that people want to avoid. Once they realize they're all over the place and they're thinking about everything, not really realizing it, they watch TV, they drink, they need, how many times have you heard, I need a drink? I'm so stressed out, I need a drink. Mm -hmm. And you're stressed out only because of what you've been thinking. There's really no stress in the present moment. There's only stress when you project something. Mm -hmm. There's only anxiety or, or, or shame when you look in the past, what you've done. So in the present moment, you're good. And you're always good. Just like an animal doesn't stress out because they're good. Even if they, a lion chases an a, a antelope, they only are stressed out for a second. And they say, you know, they're back grazing. They're not even concerned about the lion anymore. We, as humans, something happens to us and we could be thinking about the same thing for a year straight. And this is one of the things I realized in my meditation, which I'm just in the beginning stages, or I can be present for a few minutes and thoughts come in and I start thinking and it's, I call it my monkey mind. It is it's your monkey mind. Going. And then you're gone from one thing to the next. And that's, but I, I started to notice my thought train. Wow, this is what I'm thinking about. Because during the day when we're doing things, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily realize all the mm -hmm. stuff we're thinking. Mm -hmm. But during meditation, I realized, oh, Like for me, it's all my to-dos. I constantly latch onto all the things I have and to do. And that's not going to help get them done. No, no. <laughs> You're just missing this moment. Yep. They're just gone. Yes. Uh, when, I, when I train people sometimes, I can see someone's gone. I snap my fingers like, come back. I know you're somewhere. Come back. Because <laughs> you can see it in their face. They're not there. Yeah. They're gone somewhere else. And, and the more you can notice that, right, it's going to translate to your real life. Not just in meditation, right? So when I ride BART, when I do ride BART, or I ride any public transportation, I put my phone away and I'm just present with the whole trip. See, we're getting messages, believe it or not, all the time. But if you're not in the receptive mode, if you're not ready to receive those messages, they're just going to go right by you, mm -hmm. right? If you're in your mind somewhere gone and someone you need to meet was came, supposed to come by or a sign you needed to see, you're not going to see it. Mm -hmm. So they're always there. We got to be able to be in that mode of receiving. We can only receive if we're present. We can't receive any other way. And that's why when your life changes through meditation, being present, you get these messages and these things that now you're receiving them. Now you know which way to go. And this is what ha happened to you when you started This meditating. is what happened to me. The loudness quiets down and you hear the whispers. You hear the real guidance when your mind flies down. If there's too much going on, you're not going to hear anything. I want to understand, how did that help you not to drink anymore? Okay, I'm going to tell you. We are run by our subconscious mind, right? 90, they say 95%. Mm -hmm. And your subconscious mind is created from birth to like seven years old. So anything that you experienced, and this made so much sense to me when I finally realized this was why, why I couldn't change and do the things... Anything you experience from zero to seven is your core beliefs about something. So we were super broke, no family structure, right? No father. We felt less than. We were teased for who we were. Plus, on top of that, you're black. So racially, you feel a certain way. I was born in the 60s. 
So things were way different Mm -hmm. back then growing up. So all the things you hear when you go to school, all the things you experience when you were at home, all the dysfunction, you, your, your slate is clean in, at this age. So you're learning, you're imprinting this. This is your core belief. You're a clean slate. Mm. So that's why it's so important when, when parents say, don't be so stupid or don't be, you're actually creating your child's core beliefs about themselves. And I believe that's why when people that's been overweight their whole life, when they were growing up as kids, the negative things that were said to them, the negative things that might even been said by the people they, from the people they love, like go exercise, you're, you know, you're getting too big. When they get to a point when they want to change that and they're doing so well, they don't believe that they deserve to be in shape because of all the programming. They, they're always going to be that overweight kid. So they sabotage themselves, right? They're doing so well and they sabotage. Just the same with drinking, right? You grow up around alcoholism and you see this is the way you deal with your problems. Well, you don't want to be that when you get older, but when problems and pressure come into your life, your default is to go back with what your core belief about it is. Mm-hmm. This helps. Mm-hmm. So when meditation actually does, for one, it grows gray matter. You know what gray matter is? Yeah. So gray matter in, in your brain is, is responsible for your emotional state and your decision making. That's huge. Your whole life is just decisions. We're here talking right now because of the decisions we made in our life. If I wouldn't have made the decisions I made, if you wouldn't have, we wouldn't be here talking. Right? All your relationships, everything's built on decisions that you made. Mm-hmm. So it changes your decision making, which changes your life. And it also links up your it, it it creates a new person. It takes that subconscious negative mind and it basically erases it. And it you start over with the new belief system about yourself and about society and about what you can do. Your limits fall off. You realize you are unlimited. So all the limiting beliefs start to fall off. So what happens is your subconscious mind links up with your conscious mind. Your conscious mind, you know what you want to do, but now your subconscious mind believes that you can do it. And that's what creates change. You meditated and you stopped drinking. That's what initiated. No, I stopped drinking first, but then I didn't know how to deal with not drinking. And then I started meditating. Okay. So it kept me from in initial stages from not drinking. Mm. So once, like I said, it changes your whole, your subconscious. Now I don't see, I think this is a problem with a lot of like groups. Like I'm not down in any groups, but like AA and stuff, they, they almost force a stop. Like they're forcing you to stop. They're giving you rewards when you don't drink for so long. Like, and then when pressure's applied, a lot of times people go right back to doing it because you're trying to force something. Yeah. What's needed is healing, not a force. Anybody can force themselves to stop doing something for a while. But when something happens in their life, something big, it go back to your default. It's not healed yet. It's still there. Um, they say trauma can be passed down through generations, like 14 generations. So, so a lot of times when you're starting to heal, you're healing not just for yourself, but for your ancestors. I mean, you're really healing. A lot of stuff is, 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 coming, is coming up. But with meditation and me and my drinking, it removed that. It started to heal me. So now I don't even want to drink. I can sit in a bar all day. But what happened was, too, is it started to make me compassionate. It started to make me care for other people. I would look at homeless people or people that were addicted, and I was like, how can I help them? 
And I didn't know why I was doing all this. I didn't know why I was acting like this. I didn't know why I started to feel different. I started to see stuff different. I started to see nature different. I started to see flowers different, birds different. My reality was starting to change. It was starting to switch my sight out. It was removing the way I used to look at things to something different. And about three years into it, everything changed for me. My diet, my what I think, my relationships, because when you change your inner self, the, you create your outer reality. We was talking about this earlier. But about three years into it, I went to eat. And um, I went to a place down in uh, Buttercup, down in Jack London Square. You probably know where that's mm -hmm. at. And there was, it's a big, heavy meat menu. Mm -hmm. And I seen a, a, a veggie omelet. I'm like, yeah, I don't meat doesn't sound good. But usually in the past, I would be like, I'll take an omelet with, with bacon sprinkled on the top and all this other stuff. And I was like, it just doesn't sound good to me. I just, I don't want it. So I just got a veggie omelet. So the the woman I was eating breakfast with goes, are you a vegetarian? Guess what I said? You said yes. Because at that point, you decided to be a vegetarian. I didn't decide. Something decided for me. Okay. I mean, when I said yes, I don't even know why I said it. Right? I was like, yes. So it was confusing to me, right? This is three years into my meditation, sober, all that. So after I left, I'm like, why did I say that? First, I think I Googled weightlifting and vegetarianism. I didn't know what a vegan was. And I've seen pictures of people that I now know that are vegans that are you know, bodybuilders. And I was like, okay, you can do that. But, you know, giving up eggs and, and, and milk and, like, checking everything, that's too much, right? You were bodybuilding already. No. I was just in the gym. In the gym. Okay. I, I didn't start competing until I, I was a vegan. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, you can do that. But then I Googled, well, why did I say that? I don't know how I put it, but saying that the only thing I, vegetarianism and meditation. And it said basically I didn't want to do harm to any other beings. So on a subconscious level, I, be, I started to become compassionate to not only humans, but animals as well. Wow. So I stayed with the vegetarianism for a while. And then I seen a video on the egg process and the milk process. I don't know if you've ever seen this. So I just thought chickens had eggs and I thought just cows had milk. But obviously a cow has to have a baby to have milk. So with that baby, I didn't know they took the males. If it was a male and they killed it to eat. They take the baby from the mama. The mama still has attachments and emotional attachments to this baby. And they pull it and they kill it. If it's a female cow, they take it and they hook that female cow up when it's old enough. Well, first of all, they have to impregnate it. So they do it artificial insemination. And then they only last about four years, and then they die when they should last 15 to 20. So they milk them to death, basically. So the baby males get killed. The females get hooked up like their moms. And then once, once they die, they send them to fast food companies and, and, and things like that. Then the egg process, I was like, so they take the baby chicks, the males, that aren't good for anything, and they grind them up alive. This is what I've seen. Or they gas them or just put them in a bag and throw them in the garbage alive. And then going back to why I became vegetarian in the first place, it said because I didn't want to do any harm to any other beings. So that's doing harm. Whether it's directly or indirectly, it's doing harm. So that's when I became vegan. And it became less of a diet and more of, unconditional love for all beings whether I lost whatever I lost physically or m muscle wise or whatever that that's not important to me at this point but I, luckily I didn't right I just continued on so that's what meditation also did it got me to that point 
I know a couple of other people that got that to that point um, it, through meditation. Then going forward, my whole career and what I did for a living started to change. What and were I, you doing for a living at that well, point? Well, I was still training people, but I wasn't speaking or spreading this message that I'm sp spreading now. And um, I wasn't doing the bodybuilding. I got picked up by a vegan supplement company. And I'm also an author. I, I definitely wasn't writing writing books. But my whole career turned to service. And before it was about, okay, I'm training people, but what do I get out of it? So going forward, everything is always expanding when you meditate. So you think, oh, this is so real right now. And then six months later, it's something else. You're always expanding. You're never static. You're never not growing. It's like leveling up. You're going to think you got it figured out, and then something happens, and then you have to sit through that and work through that, and then you're on another level. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're growing each time. It's almost like in the gym. Obviously, you go to the gym. Um, you got to break your muscles down to get them stronger. And through all these experiences of growing, I'm going through some real heavy stuff. When you get to this certain point in your life as far as spiritual awakening, you start out one way and everything is really great and you're seeing things different and you love everybody and all of a sudden you hit this it's dark night of the soul is what mm -hmm. it's called. Mm -hmm. Where physically you might have things going on and you might deal with this super dark place and you might be having crazy dreams and don't know what's going on. And recently I just figured this out. I'm like, what is going on with me? But it's really about expanding and growing. But this point in my life, this could last for, for quite a while. And I was kind of frightened because I didn't know what was going on. But it's always new experiences. You're always growing and expanding when you sit with awareness, right? When you sit with meditation. Mo most people just think, oh, I'm just going to relax. But you got to be ready for this ride because if you really want to go there, if you really want to wake up, it's not going to be easy. It's not all roses. Mm -hmm. So bringing these really tough experiences in my life through this meditation and, and basically the universe saying, are you ready for this? If you, if you say this is what you want, be careful what you ask for because if this is what you want, I'm going to take you there. And, and that's where it took me. That's where meditation You took allowed me. it to happen. I, I, yes. You I said, wanted it. I think you were searching for answers and you wanted it. Right. A absolutely. And it sounds to me what you did is really, and you said that you healed yourself from the inside out. And, and, still in the and you still are doing mm -hmm. it and you're getting more and more in touch with who you are this constant search and i don't think it's ever ending i think it's always it's never finding who we are and discovering more of who we are and what we can be doing and i believe i mean i share your belief i think we're here to be of service and Absolutely. to contribute and make this world a better place is my belief right but you know, this whole process of money making, you know, there's so much of a selfish endeavor in this, the way this life is, that we're always pursuing and feeling like we need to do it for ourselves. Right, right. We need a bigger house and more cars and more clothes. And it's hard from that place to disconnect and say, I need to help. And I think that that connection, that bridge only comes if we turn inward that's it yeah we'll see like we were speaking about earlier everybody's working outside they're working backwards you're working backwards mm -hmm. um 
like I said, I used to go to church or whatever, but there's one part in, in the Bible where they said, don't build your house on what sand on the sand. You need a solid foundation. Mm -hmm. So even when the storm comes, you might rock you a little bit, but you're still, you're still there. You don't fall apart. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. And it's layers. It's like layers. You're peeling layers and layers and layers and layers. And every time you get to a certain point and you peel a layer, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yep. But it's going to help you grow. And once you get to a point where you can understand what's happening, right? You can look back and understand, like, I'm going to be okay. This is just growing. This is growing pains right now. I'm going to be okay. It doesn't completely wipe you out if you got that solid base, if you got that solid foundation. And if you're okay with a little bit of discomfort, which most oh. of us are not. Oh, yeah, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hey, if you say you want to be on this journey and do the be the best you, oh, it's going to get uncomfortable for yeah. sure. Like you said, we're here to serve each other. And I, I really believe that our true nature is love. Like that's what we are. Mm -hmm. Then we're conditioned to think we're something else. And then when we want to find out what we really are, we got to work our way back to that, to that place, right? Regardless of if someone believes different than me. I'm to the point in my life right now of understanding that even someone that might hate me for the way I look, I understand that's not them. I don't even take it personal. Mm -hmm. they, that's not them. Mm -hmm. When they came out as a baby, they weren't blurting out racial slurs. They were conditioned just like I was conditioned. And until you realize who you really are or want to know, you're always going to be that way. So why would I take that person personal? You know, if you put a bunch of babies together and let them grow up all different colors and whatever, they're just going to be brothers and sisters. They're not going to judge each other. It takes adults to, to program these kids to be a certain way. And if you don't know, you don't know. There's people in our government right now that think they're things that they're not. And you can't take it personal because... Believe me, they were conditioned just like we were conditioned. They were told that they were something better or something worse or can do no wrong or can treat people the way they want to be, you know, that you want to treat them, that people are beneath you, that people are above you. All these beliefs that are, none of them are true. If I was to ask somebody, well, who are you? They First, they'd start by naming themselves probably, right? Then they'll go to what their occupation is. And then they might go to what their race is and where their family's from, and so on and so None of that's them. And I tell people, I said, you, you wouldn't even know that you were black unless someone told you. You don't know that you're that unless someone told you. If no one told you that, you wouldn't even claim that. You see what I'm saying? You didn't know you were the religion you were until you were raised in it. Hmm. If you take any child, that's why in certain regions, more different religions are more prevalent in those regions. It's because in that region, that's what they practice. Mm. It's not because all Muslims are born in the middle. You know what I'm saying? It's not because of that. Mm -hmm. So I realized after I got older and I started going on this who am I journey that everything I thought I was, I wasn't. Everything I thought I couldn't do, I knew that was false too. So when you have this identity that you've been living with and over and over making it solid, right? Over and over, every arguing this stance, you're who you are to everybody for 30, 40 years, it becomes so real to you, you don't want to lose that identity. Mm. And a lot of that is ego. And when you start to lose the ego, that is painful as well. And I had to go through that process. Like you are not 
any better or any worse, even if you're on this journey, you cannot look at anybody else and judge their, even if it's not, you know, alcoholism or whatever, you can't judge their path just because you think you figured out something that everybody else should have figured out as well. What was something in the past that would have really set you off, that really was a sensitive point for you that you feel now you have overcome? Well, the violence part for sure, right? I used to be... The what part? I, I used to be violent, oh. right? So, especially, I was not a violent drunk, but then if violence happened to show up, I was quick to what join would, that part. What would trigger the violence? Somebody uh, insulting oh, you? Uh, yeah, it could be anything. Anything. It could be anything. It could be just being with a group of people that just started to get violent. It, it really it really didn't matter. And I always thought that other people would were had a negative uh, view of me, which I don't care about now, but especially people that, that didn't look like me. I always think, even if they looked at me, I think they were judging me already. Where I went, I would be careful of where I used to go because... Uh, like if I had a white friend and they said, hey, I want you to come to the party with me. I'm like, well, who's going to be there? Because I didn't want to be judged if I showed up in some crate. You know what I'm saying? I would go over to people's houses that were well, you know, well off. And I would think they probably think I'm going to be in here stealing some. These are the things that we have to think about because and I, we know that people think a certain way about us because of the media and what they put out. Like if you see black people on TV, I mean, a lot of times they're just showing the worst of the worst. So, you know, other people get this image like, Oh, I got to clutch my purse or whatever when they walk by you, right? Me and my friend was walking by this lady, and she was in the car. And just walking by, minding our own business, we walk by and we hear the doors lock. So this is the type of stuff. Mm. People crossing the street when they see you or things like that. So you, you, you already think that you are, are something else, something to be feared, something to be looked down on or, or, or whatever. So all these things I believed about myself, like right now, I don't care. Like, really, I don't care. If you grab your purse, I'm like, you know, I hope you got some money in there. Or, you know, I don't, I don't even care anymore. It doesn't right. matter. I realized that what I thought I was, I am not. I am love. That's what I am, right? And I'm here to serve. That's what I am. The package I came in is not that important. Yeah, and I see you got the word love on your fingers. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I got a lot of tattoos. My tattoo started about 28 years ago. But my first tattoo was a gun with a hand pointing at you. And this was my last one. Love, yeah. Yeah. So your journey tattooed on your body. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Wherever <laughs> I was, that's what, what, that's what it looks like. People are like, oh, you don't want to get rid of that? I'm like, no. Why would I do that? That's all. It's just a reminder of where I was consciously, mm -hmm. what I was thinking, how I was feeling, uh, where my energy was. I feel like there is such a great opportunity for you. This path that you just shared with me, so many people out there that you could touch with this and help. I think that's where a lot of people are stuck. They're stuck in their identity and who they are and who they need to defend, which that's not really who they are. They're getting caught up on the mm -hmm. wrong things. As a side story, I mentored this girl from East Oakland. She's 13 now. And it's all about, every time we get together, it's all about her identity. It wasn't like that we first met was two years ago. Mm. She was still little and it was kind of like, oh, whatever. Mm. But now she'll ask questions when I take her somewhere. Who's going to be there? 
I'm going to take her to a basketball practice. And she already asked what, what kind of kids are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Who am I going to be identifying with? And I always think to myself, it doesn't matter. I want you to have fun. Mm-hmm. I want you to have a good time. It doesn't matter who is there. But I know for her it matters because this is the kids that she's with and that's how they talk and that's how they identify and that's how she identifies. Mm-hmm. And it's all fear-based. Yeah. It's, it's all fear-based. And that's why in this country, when you start throwing gasoline on the fire and getting everybody scared, it really affects these young kids. And they, what if you're Muslim and they have a Muslim band? I mean, you go going to school scared. You're going to school thinking someone's going to do something to you today. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality. How right? can we how can we help people with this? Well, the best thing the best way to help the world, and I truly truly believe this. I want to know. <laughs> the best way to help the world is to help yourself. You give off so much love and so much light that you affect everybody you come in contact with. Even on a, a casual basis, right? You give off so much love, you affect, and the, the energy and the vibration of love is the highest vibration there is. So it, 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 it's not one for one, right? It's not hate one, love one, or fear one, love one. Love spreads way more than any negative vibration you can have, right? And that's why some of these say, old school sages and healers and all these people, they affected big crowds and big areas everywhere they went because their love energy was so strong. It just kind of takes over. And that's what we need to do. That's what we need to take everywhere we go. We have to work on ourselves. And it's going to affect, like I said, inside out. It's going to affect your community. It's going to affect whoever you come in contact with. So so say you're carrying that high, super high vibration and you go in and you you speak. Say you want to speak. You affected that whole room in such a positive way that they take that little bit of love and energy and light that you gave to them and they go and they and it just spreads just like a disease right mm-hmm. you, they take it home and they, they touch their family with it and they touch their family and that's that's why I think it's so important when you're in a certain place to share to go to them crowds and to, to go to speak and to go and, and go with your purest intentions and don't worry about what people think about you. A lot of people say, well, if, you don't, if you're going to speak to somebody and you're nervous, that means the attention is on you. That makes sense. You're worried about what they're going to think. But if you go, let me put my attention to the people I'm trying to help, then the nervousness goes away. Hmm. I'm trying to help somebody. It's not about me. I got that message that two days ago I was meditating on a shuttle. Just closed my eyes and just sat back. You can do it anywhere. But the message came and said, it's not about you. And it's not. Every one of us is connected at the deepest level. So me as an individual, not that important. But no, it's really for the whole of the good, right? The entire planet. If I can work on myself, not in a selfish way, but work on myself to make the whole world a better place. It's not about me. We get caught up in woe is me all the time and me this and me that when it's not about that, mm-hmm. right? So just like when you say people are so concerned about material things and getting this and getting that and getting this and getting that, at the end it's all hollow and empty. That's not going to make you happy in the end. How and many, it doesn't. How many rich people have killed themselves? How many famous people have killed themselves? 
you know and it's this constant quest you get one thing and you, you don't even enjoy it you're mm -hmm. already looking to the next thing because a car or any material thing just doesn't fulfill you it no, can't it can't and that's why some sometimes the people with the least amount of monetary things or you know physical possessions can be at so peaceful in such a good place because they understand that anything outside of themselves cannot bring them happiness or joy. Right. Nothing. But they're connected to that which does bring them happiness and joy, so it doesn't matter. They mm -hmm. don't need to. Uh, it's almost like the rich people that just give all their stuff away. They understand. They, finally something clicked like, I can help so many people with this and I don't need it. Mm -hmm. I don't want it. To opposed to somebody that goes, Oh, I'm I'm a billionaire, but I just want more and 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 more, and they're miserable because they're trying to fulfill something that they can't with with money. And I'm not saying money's bad. Money's good. You can do a lot of good stuff with money. Of course. But to make that your identity, yeah. That's why they put windows in Vegas. That's why they put windows you can't jump out of. Oh yeah. Because people latch their identity on this money and they lose everything, and it's like why why even live anymore? Right. So they got to make sure they don't jump out. Not on my watch. They say, you ain't going to kill yourself on my watch. <laughs> I want to know more about your daughter. You said something earlier that oh, she was special. Kiana. Yeah, she's super special. She came here to save me, I really believe it. Yeah, like, it sounds like it. Save me for myself. Yeah. Right? Uh, first of all, she's a, a, a USA national gymnast. She's got back from London. Three weeks ago, she got gold. She's an acro gymnast. Wow. And she's a mixed pair, so she always does the uh, she does routines with a, a another a boy a boy and her, but that's not even her um, her strongest point. Another thing, she has a four point three GPA, and she practices like fifteen hours a week, and she still maintains that. But she is a, a really amazing, gifted writer. Like after we're done, I'll show you a little bit of how she writes. It's, it's so crazy. You would you would. How old like, is she? She's eleven. But the biggest thing and the most amazing thing about her is she has a huge, huge heart, and she's so compassionate. So my other children got to see a different side of me, but she got to see my whole healing journey. From She's never seen me take a drink. She's just seen me heal myself over these years, and she became vegan on her own. I didn't want to force my beliefs on her. Right, because I stopped eating meat and stopped eating dairy, I didn't want to say you have to too, even though I felt pretty strongly about it. Mm -hmm. I just kept doing what I was doing, and she kept asking me questions like, "Why do you, why do you meditate? Why do you not eat meat?" So I just told her, you know, just this, this is why, this is why I did it, and this is why I do it. And she, her mom lives in San Jose, so we co-parent. We have a very good relationship, and one day. She was sneaking meat off her food. She was pulling the meat off, and her mom caught her. And her mom came to me like, "Why is she doing this?" I was like, "I don't know." I said, "I didn't tell her to stop eating meat or anything." So um, her mom said, "It'll be a fad. It'll be a phase. Whatever. I'll go with this for now." Six years later, six years, she's been a vegan. She won Peter's cutest kid a little while back, and she's like a vegan spokesperson, and she speaks she does public speaking <laughs> yeah wow yeah and she, uh -huh. like i said she's just a just so loving and caring and just amazing and smart and brilliant and 
the athlete thing we weren't even expecting. She was so much into her books that we were like, you need to, her mom was like, you need to do something else. Stop reading. Who tells this kid to stop reading all the time? She would just be reading all the time, right? It's like, you get outside, go play, you know, run in the street, we'll do whatever. But so her mom puts her in a tumbling class. Like here, this is what we're going to do. She gave her, I think she gave her some options. Like you can do this or you can do this. She knew she wasn't a team sport player. So she's like, how about gymnastics, do tumbling? She's like, okay, I'll do tumbling. This was only two years ago. She is on the USA National Gymnastics team. Wow. Two years. This is her beginning of her third year. People have been thinking she's doing it her whole life. And she has a body to shape like mine. She has really long limbs, but a short tor- torso. So that's not a gymnast body. But she's still doing it. Hmm. Like gymnasts are usually really short. So when they do their little flips and stuff and tucks, they can get their legs around into a little ball and they can spin faster. Right. But she looks like a dancer. Wow. Yeah. So... Um, I told her from age three, she's going to change the world. And I really believed it at the time. My public mm-hmm. speaking was uh, in high school, I was asked to stand in front of the class and read something, and I didn't want to do it. And my teacher said, you're going to flunk if you don't do it. So I got up there. And when I tell you I was nervous, that was the nervous, most nervous I've ever been in my entire life, right? I'm like, she said, if you don't do it, you're going to flunk. So I did it. And that was 1986. Never got in front of anybody. I was insecure because of my conditioning never again did I get in front of fast forward 30 years I'm sober for eight years at this time and I'm like let me make a Facebook live post and I was scared so scared this is on this is just through my phone but it's Facebook live so it's almost like I'm in front of people Mm -hmm. so I did it so what happens so I'm stepping through this fear right I'm like I walked had to walk to the park to do that I couldn't even do it at home I'm just like let me go do this 30 minutes later, this woman who's married to a lead singer of a, uh, the band War, her name is Teresa. You know what the band War? Mm-mm. You ever heard the, that song Low Rider or Why Can't We Be Friends? You ever heard of those songs? Maybe if I hear the music. Yeah, uh, you probably could. Yeah. Anyways, they're popular. They're still on rotation to this day. They're still touring to this day. But she contacts me and goes, I love your energy. Will you come to my house in L.A. and speak? Oh, come on. And I'll pay you. So before I could even... From that one Facebook post you did. I'm telling you, when you open up yourself and step through fear, things start to happen. So I immediately said yes. I'm living in here in the Bay Area, and I immediately said yes, I'm going to do this. Last time I spoke in front of anybody was reading something in 1986. I go to her house. I stand in the shallow end of the pool, and they have all the tables sitting in the pool, and they're... She's a raw vegan cook, so she's made food for everybody. And I sat there in front of a small group of people, and I told my story. After that, I've been asked to speak over and over and over and over and over. People would just contact me. I went from not being able to even tear, definitely ill of speaking Mm -hmm. to having this be what I do. Because one time I said, I'm not going to be afraid of this anymore. And a lot of times the things that we're most afraid of is where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And it's, we're almost afraid of our own greatness, our own power. So we make excuses not to do it. But once you do it, then the doors just start flying open. 